everyone. How you doing? This is the post-draft review. Uh, NFL and Bears draft coverage is coming to an end for now. But this is just the beginning of our NFL coverage uh, that we hope to bring you on a weekly or semi-weekly basis, maybe, uh, lead, just leading up to the season where we'll definitely ramp it up to a weekly basis or even more, maybe. But uh, right now, this is your man, Kyle Means, Editorial Director of com. With me is Ryan Bukovetsky, um, our Bears and NFL Analyst Supreme. And, um, yeah, we're just we – sh- I should – I actually do have it recorded. I should put out our, our talk that we just had on uh, Adventure Game Game as well. Uh, I may do that, but uh, we just yeah we just got through talk. We run we run warmed ourselves up talking about Endgame. Uh, we both enjoyed it very much, and I uh, hope you did too if you listen if you watched that and are listening to this. But uh, we also hope you enjoyed the draft, of course, whether you are a Bears fan or not. Um, you know it can be a rough time. You know a lot is a lot is up in the air right now, especially if you're a team that's on the rebuild. Uh, luckily for the Bears, that's not really the case. They were a team that's operating with a lot of strength coming into this 2019 draft. And I think they used it to their advantage, you could say. Um, you know, got a few players who, uh, you know, a couple players who you could probably contribute right away, others who may contribute more to the special team side. But they didn't – they never were, were in, the, in a position where they were really desperate in this in this draft, uh, Ryan Pace, as he so often does, wound up trading up again. And he, uh, in- interestingly enough, traded up with the New England Patriots again. Uh, they seem to have a, a nice relationship with each other there, those front offices. Uh, and, um, you know, he got his guy, it looks like, in, in the main the main pick. The main pick, which was the pick that we focused on for weeks leading up with our with a Ryan series of draft analysts, uh, draft breakdowns and everything, position breakdowns and player breakdowns. Uh, you know, focused on what was going to happen in that third round with the Bears. The Bears stayed in the third round but moved up a little higher, 14 picks from 87 to 73, and wound up getting David Montgomery, which is a player who uh, we didn't single out completely, but we did speak quite a bit about him on the uh, running back episode that we had of our draft preview coverage earlier, uh, I guess last month. Or, uh, and, uh, yeah, Ryan, you know, as, as I let you in, man, the the, the single, we, we, didn't, we didn't do too good with the players that you singled out. The Bears didn't get any of them. But, uh, like I said, we did talk about Montgomery quite a bit, and, and you mentioned him being a guy – who might have been out of the Bears' reach because of his other teams wanting him. And as it wound up, Pace was probably hip to that, and he made sure that he went up and got him, you know, because that's how much he wanted him. So what did you think about that that first pick and uh, how the Bears went about it? Yeah, definitely, Kyle. I'm glad to talk to you about the draft. We have the Game of Thrones episode that was highly anticipated endgame. And I think for all football fans, probably the creme de la creme was this NFL draft. And for Bears fans, looking at what they did in the draft, looking at Montgomery in the third round, as you pointed out, 
we did a uh, draft special on the running backs. We thought maybe Miles Sanders could be the guy, and that was pretty early still in the draft process. And it was just after the uh, combine where he had a tremendous workout, which obviously boosted him up uh, draft boards. And we thought Dave Montgomery would not be even in play, really, for the Bears. We talked about him being one of the top guys that will likely not be available. And for whatever reason, maybe it's the running back position. There's really no red flags about David Montgomery other than his 40-yard dash was a 4.63, so not very fast. But his NFL comp is Kareem Hunt, really to a T, and they have very similar similar measurables and had very similar workouts at the combine, even had a very similar 40-yard dash. And his speed in the NFL hasn't really been a question at all. This uh, player is a three-down type running back, which is a huge positive. Some of these other running backs in this draft weren't considered the guys that could be on the field at all times or at least right away. But with Montgomery's size at uh, 222 pounds, he is a bruising type running back, but he has elusiveness, contact balance, where if guys get a, a helmet on him or hit him, try to knock him off balance he does a tremendous job of recovering and continuing his run and he's got that ability where you're in a a phone booth basically and he can just dodge you within the hole if somebody's coming up he can find a way to make that dude miss and that is really the key to what Matt Nagy and his offense is looking for at the running back position the one thing that Jordan Howard didn't quite have that Nagy was looking for was the ability to make some guys miss in the hole to get up to that second level and make some of these bigger runs into 20, 30-yard runs rather than just 5- or 10-yard runs. That's something that Jordan Howard just is not very good at. He's more of a a good vision runner, but he's going to use a lot of contact. He's not going to use a lot of uh, quick twitch, a lot of bend, a lot of fast movement to avoid runners. That's something that Dave Montgomery will do. He's much more of a natural pass catcher than Jordan Howard is and will be used in the passing game. Should be very solid in run pro. And, you know, really everybody raves about this guy's intangibles and work ethic especially. He's the type of guy that really revitalized that Iowa State program. He was their star player in many respects. He was the guy that really catalyzed the turnaround of that program. He was the type of guy that you could catch him at midnight in the gym working out because that's where he would be there. He wouldn't be anywhere else. That's, he's just a hard worker. And the Bears obviously saw him coming on the board. And it's very clear that they must have had some kind of intelligence because the Buffalo Bills selected number 74 and went with running back. So clearly the Bears felt that they had to move up to go get their guy in order to avoid the possibility of him potentially being taken by a team that they knew was going to go running back in that third round. So good job by the Bears to identify teams' needs and kind of figure out some of the nuances of what the teams are trying to do in that third round. And clearly the Bears really loved him, really wanted him, felt he was their player. And we know an NFL draft isn't complete without a Ryan Pace trade-up. So he identified the guy that he felt he had to have, and it was Dave Montgomery, and went after him. And it should be a very positive player for the Bears. He should come in and be able to be the starting running back if they need him to be, or at least a heavy contributor. And I would be surprised if uh, this is a pick that doesn't at least perform as well as Jordan Howard, if not maybe a little bit better. Yeah, this was a uh, universally 
uh, admired pick. Uh, I think I didn't see really anyone uh, from Bears fans to the more objective uh, media uh, here in Chicago or uh, nationwide really uh, crap on this pick. Nobody really had a negative thing to say about this pick that I saw. And, um, you know, it, when I saw the pick myself, I, yeah, I was very, uh, you know, high on it because, you know, of our previous talks and, uh, you know, the idea that you, that you, you know, kept coming mostly from you that, that he wouldn't be available at, at necessarily at 87. And, uh, you know, Sanders, by the way, went in the second round to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, just to just to point that out, so he again was a, a he was a riser as well, and um, you know, went with a team that I guess was pretty familiar with him uh, in, in Phil, you know, Philadelphia, you know, not far from Penn State. So you got the Bears though with this Iowa State kid who got a lot of usage out of him, uh, you know, as a cyclone. He was very. Um, he was used very much to move that offense, and uh, you got to figure that he'll have less of that strain on him as a bear because you know people are already touting the team of, of Run DMC, uh, which which as a hip hop fan I have to say I'm pretty happy that people are going to Run DMC already, and uh, you know you got Montgomery is the D, you got Cohen is the C, and Mike Davis. Or is, you know Mike, you know Mike Davis, and Mike Davis is is uh, the end. <laughs> so, uh, though maybe that that'll be that a three-headed monster. You know, we've we've seen a lot of two-headed monsters uh, in backfields uh, in the NFL, but a three-headed monster maybe all the better. When you look at uh, having, you know, at least two guys who we know should be able to catch passes out of the backfield and do similar things. Which uh, which could be important as well because in some analysis I've seen, it makes it that the Bears uh, are will be they'll be less telegraphing for defenses against the Bears now. Like last year, when Howard was on the field, you defenses were more could more or less assume that the Bears were going to be running, uh, uh, particularly running in a particular way. And uh, when Howard was on the field, as opposed to when Cohen was on the field, when and you didn't know whether it might be a pass, uh, you know, a pass out of the backfield, or Cohen might go into the slot, or Cohen may take a handoff. But when uh, Howard was out there, you more or less knew that a handoff was happening. Now with Montgomery, it's more it's more the same than you had with uh, with Cohen. You don't you're not going to be as sure pre-snap just exactly what the Bears are doing. And that could be uh no that could be a nice wrinkle for the Bears, a nice uh, advantage for the Bears as it as the offense as it continues to uh evolve and and as players become uh you know more seasoned. A lot of his young town become seasoned, including Montgomery and uh you know uh Mitch becomes Mitchell Trubisky becomes more confident and you know more seasoned as a as a signal caller and everything. Yeah, it, it, to me, this off season has really been about establishing the Bears' run game because I think that a narrative has kind of been written after Nagy's first year that maybe he's a little bit bored of the run game and it's not something that he gets as much fun out of as the pass game. 
I don't really think that that's necessarily true. I think that that is one thing Matt Nagy has been probably pounding on the table for this offseason is a, a better advanced approach to his run game. And part of that is what you talked about, how defenses were key on Jordan Howard versus Tariq Cohen because Howard is just not a receiving threat. And now with the running backs that the team has, there's not going to be any option for a defense to say, oh, that player's coming on the field. We don't have to worry about him being a pass catcher. This offense is going to be so, so dynamic now with a David Montgomery who fits a little bit more of the scheme and mold rather than what Jordan Howard did. And then on top of it, too, you throw in, as you pointed out, Mitchell Trubisky as a passer, but also him as a dynamic runner. He was a, probably the biggest reason for any of their total run game success last year. And now if you supply him with these running backs and Mike Davis, David Montgomery, and a guy we'll talk about in a little bit, too, that we – should maybe point out is uh, this Kareth White that they drafted in the seventh round as well. These four running backs, this new running back room that they have, and you might even have another guy, Ryan Nall, who had a really good preseason last year. I don't know how many running backs the Bears are going to keep, but I would expect them to keep at least four, so it's going to be a very tight competition for those four spots. And I really expect this year for the Bears to have more of the running attack that they want to have, and if Everything else is continuing to develop where the offensive line is as solid. The passing game can be as threatening as it was last year, maybe even take a step further with another year of development. You look at really just that running game being the potential cherry on the top for the offense where it's just going to have this thing humming and going. Because if, if the Bears become a great running team, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult for teams to stop their passing game. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let me say here, uh, uh, you'll when you listen to this, you'll be able to read also Ryan's uh, piece on WeAreRegalRadio.com, breaking down all the picks uh, that we're that we're going over here today, including Montgomery and all the later picks that we're about to go over, and uh, also give some other uh, analysis into the NFL draft as a whole. Ryan, are you moving something over there? Uh, I was moving around. Is it coming through? A little bit, yeah. I thought you was moving some furniture or something. I hope you wasn't hurting nobody. Uh Oh, no, no. Just walking back and forth. Pacing with all this uh, NFL draft talk. I'll sit down, though. Giving you some energy. I'm not mad at you, man. But uh, (laughs) let's let's go forward with with these other picks. Uh, You mentioned Kareth White in the seventh. But a couple couple picks. Uh, Another pick, this was one that we talked about. In the fourth, uh, that you you highlighted quite a bit. I remember you when we, when we were talking about the receivers, and um, you highlighted in your receiver uh, piece uh, the kid from Ohio State, the second kid from Ohio State, but uh, not a uh, was it McClellan, right? I forget. I forget. Yeah, Terry McLaren. McLaren, excuse me. Uh, no, he didn't go to the Bears, but you did talk a lot about uh, Riley Ridley. Who's the brother of Calvin Ridley, a star receiver down in the uh, Atlanta Falcons, and uh, Riley uh, indeed went to the Bears at number four. And this is a pick that, in, in a lot of ways, is being touted uh, just as highly as Montgomery, uh, and particularly particular for the value that uh, many see the Bears got in the fourth round for this kid. Uh, go ahead and, and let us know what you think about it. Well, I think it's interesting because I think Terry McLaren went, I want to say, almost like 
a few picks after Riley Ridley, if I remember that correctly. He may have went in the third round. But uh, Riley Ridley, all the types of mock drafts, all types of expert breakdowns, nobody really had him moving below the second round. Really, maybe the third round, the absolute lowest he would fall. A lot of people expected him. I even saw him as high as one of Green Bay's first-round picks in a few mock drafts that were really right before the draft started. So this was a highly touted prospect by a lot of uh, draft experts. And looking at uh, what Riley Ridley did on the field, probably his best game or biggest accomplishment was that national championship game against Alabama where Tua Tagovailoa came back and won in the second half. But in that first half, it was all Jake Fromm and Riley Ridley especially who just dominated and got the better half of the Ridley brother matchup in that national championship game because Riley really couldn't be stopped in that first half. And I think that that opened up a lot of eyes across the league. Uh, maybe some of the reason why he fell is he didn't have quite the top production that maybe you wanted to see. But what fans and people have to remember is this was a loaded Georgia offense. They had a lot of different receivers, and they were loaded at running back, and this was a running defensive team. So I don't know if he necessarily quite got the opportunities to shine that he would have maybe if he were at Clemson or somewhere with a little bit more of a wide-open offense. But Riley, he's very similar to Calvin in that they're – Probably their greatest strength coming out of the draft is their ability to route run. They have a very advanced expert kind of feel of their route running technique. And he's going to should at least instantly come in and be able to be a good route runner. From there, his speed is one thing that's been questioned, and perhaps that's why he fell so much. But he has very good hands. He's at six foot two, about 200 pounds. So this is a bigger receiver, and I think it mixes well with what the Bears have currently on the roster. Because you have Allen Robinson as kind of your big possession receiver, and you got two kind of speedster slash quick receivers in Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller. But then after that, you lose Kevin White. You have Javon Wims from Georgia, who was a teammate of Riley Ridley's last year. And Javon has definitely flashed, but this is a seventh-round pick. Maybe you're not expecting him to do too much, or maybe he's hitting his ceiling already. And even though he's a bigger guy, maybe they wanted to add some more of that possession-type receiver. And another thing, too, the Bears did not target tight end, which is an area that we thought they would potentially target in the draft. And probably came down to just they only had five selections and they were taking best player available. They want to focus more with their receivers than their tight end. That should be very simple for them to do that with their game planning and their playbook. It shouldn't take very much for them to shift the focus. And now you look at with Montgomery and Ridley, both of those players can come in this season and instantly contribute. I mean, Montgomery is kind of pegged to be your starter right now. If not the starter, probably your backup starter behind Mike Davis, but they'll be competing, I'm sure, for the starter position. Riley Ridley comes in. He's going to be competing with Cordell Patterson and Javon Wims. It's a loaded receiver group, and if the Bears really have any receive, uh, any injuries to their receiver position, they should be able to handle it pretty well with the mix of weapons that they have, and they can really rotate and move guys around. Ridley is that go-up-and-get-it type receiver. He's got a big catch radius. That's what Pace and Nagy were highlighting about this player in their post-press conference talking about these picks, and I, I think he's going to mix in well and kind of fit that Allen Robinson mold so that if, God forbid, Allen Robinson does go down, you still have a receiver that kind of fits his skill set and the offense can continue to hump. Yeah, you got to like you gotta like that uh, 
the depth that's developing now in the, in the receiving core. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Williams, man. We came to get about Javon Williams, man. He, he became a little bit of a fan favorite, uh, in, in especially that preseason last year. So you hope he could get some reps, man. But it, it's going to be a little bit harder with, with, with Ridley there because, uh, you know, I, I really liked, like you mentioned, his size. I really liked his size. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it will be good to have a guy like him that will be a little harder to bring down as opposed to the guys that we already have who, uh, you know, like you said, are speedsters and, you know, you know more elusive guys. You know, it will be nice to have guys who you could maybe, uh, you know, you could risk going up the middle with. So, you know, going over the cro- across the middle, I should say. Uh, you know. And worst case, too, if Mitch Trubisky has to put a ball up, you probably don't want to do many 50-50 balls with Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel. No, you no. feel a lot better with Riley Ridley and Allen Robinson throwing those up to them. And if you've got two guys double-teaming Allen Robinson, Riley Ridley could maybe benefit really off of uh, another corner on the other side that he has a size advantage with. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, definitely uh, welcome Riley to the – to Chicago, and um, moving on as we go to, uh, so I guess the, the Bears had, uh, did they have a fifth round pick or was, I know they had multiple picks in the seventh and one. In the they originally had a fifth round pick, but that went to New England in the trade up of the 14 spots. Right. So in addition to the 87th pick, New England got uh, the Bears' fifth round pick and a 2024th round pick. So the Bears, uh, in return, got New England's sixth-round pick, which was number 206, and they didn't originally have a sixth-round pick due to the Cleo Mack trade. So they were able to kind of swap their fifth and sixth-round pick. Okay, okay. So that's that's how that went there. Well explained, Brian. So no fifth-round pick, and there was a sixth-round pick, once one sixth-round pick, and two sevens. So, uh, so let's, let's go into those. Uh, and and uh, start with the sixth round pick, and the the Bears wound up going uh, with a cornerback in this one, right? This is the Kansas State kid. Correct, Duke Shelley. Uh, yeah, very uh, very specific type of draft pick to me by the Bears here, and this is going to be uh, starting with Duke Shelley and their first seventh round pick. I think that these two players were were picked specifically for what they could potentially bring in the future, but also the insurance that they can provide in the here and now. And looking at Duke Shelley specifically first, he is purely a squat corner, a slot corner. He is not going to be a guy that plays on the outside. He's about five foot nine, about 180 pounds, so a little bit smaller, which is a big reason why he fell in this draft with size concerns. But a guy that was just around the football at Kansas State in the very pass-happy Big 12. And Kansas State was never a team that really did much when it came to offense. They were purely a simple running team, and that's part of the reason why they didn't have success in that conference. It certainly wasn't because of their defense. Their defense has always kind of routinely been one of the top programs in that Big 12. And Duke Shelley was a guy that was had eight, I believe, eight career college interceptions and 31 pass deflections, constantly around the ball, has good mirroring and cover skills, has that tenacity that you want in that corner. He, he reminds me a lot of Bryce Callahan, to be honest, a guy that seems very tough and is going to stick his nose in the run game has to work on his technique and tackling and in the open field, but a guy that's not afraid to compete, really loves to compete. 
he has uh, got that speed and quickness that you need in the slot corner position. And really, when I look at this depth chart, obviously Buster Scribe brought in to be your nickel corner for the season. He replaces Bryce Callahan. The primary backup last year to Bryce Callahan was Sherrick McManus, who did come in last year and did a pretty good job, pretty solid job at that nickel corner spot. Now you add in Duke Shelley. To me, that that screams that this is a guy that we're going to obviously try to develop. He's going to be more of a special teams impact player, being a sixth-round pick. But... If Buster goes down, if Sherrick McManus goes down, and Sherrick has had an injury history, Buster has not, so you wouldn't expect him to go down, but this is the NFL, anything can happen. If he goes down, and Sherrick McManus is having injury problems, you now have a specific slot corner that you can put out there, and maybe the Bears won't do that ultimately in the beginning, depending on how he develops, but at least Chuck Pagano has that guy back there that fits the role, because Really, your emergency slot corner right now is Prince of Mugamara, who again has injury questions. But even if he is out there, it really limits what you do on the outside. So I think that this was a pick to specifically pinpoint an area on defense where last year you lost your nickel corner. Defense didn't take a huge step back, but I think it did take somewhat of a step back. Now you have some insurance for that position. Worst case scenario, if you get ravaged by injuries, and that's an extremely critical position, and it's only getting more and more critical as the league moves more and more to passing. Okay, okay. So, and, and we definitely went over that in the previews when we talked both about safety and corner. Uh, you know, what was going to – that was going to be some need for depth uh, for the Bears, added depth, and uh, young players who you can – you know, control contract wise, we don't want to get too much in the in the pockets. But uh but it, it would be helpful to have young players who you would have some control over going forward. So uh you won't have to do so much reaching in uh free agency and stuff and stuff and risking on, you know, veteran players who may have you know baggage coming along with them or injury stuff. You know, but uh it was interesting the Bears went two times with corner and uh you got about a couple minutes here uh talk to us about the other corner that they went into uh went with i should say uh with this in the seventh round about that's the state kid yeah steven denmark really raw really raw only played one year of corner in college because he was a receiver and switched over this last season so very raw but you look at the measurables and any cornerback coach or defensive backs coach in the league is going to be drooling over him. He's six foot four, about 220 pounds, I believe. He ran a four four six at his pro day and has a 43-inch vertical. Mm. I mean, this dude has everything you want in terms of skill set. Really a project pick, and that's a good spot to pick him in the seventh round to get a project. He's going to be working with Deshae Townsend and Chuck Pagano and the secondary staff with Bears and probably going to be a practice squad player, maybe can contribute on special teams, but this is a guy that they're trying to get to be a starter for them later on in the future. And if he is able to grow in technique and become a NFL starting caliber type corner, they might have got a huge steal because this guy can play physically with anybody at the wide receiver position. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's man, that, those are some numbers on that kid there that you mentioned there. I didn't know he was that big, but uh, yeah, if you can get something out of him, um, 
know, being in special teams or are in, in the uh, corner rotation. That's definitely a, could be a wise pick there. And like you said, and, not, and much, not much risk. Could be a future specialist for covering tight ends, too, because of how big and skilled he potentially could be. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, that would, he should be up for it with the, uh, as, you know, say a 6'4". And, uh, you know, definitely uh, as, as we go into the final pick, uh, you, uh, as you already mentioned him, uh, Kareth White, uh, uh, Ford Atlantic, and the same school that Singletary, Devin Singletary, who was another guy who was looked at, and, and he was the guy, incidentally, that the Bills picked right after, the pick after uh, the David Montgomery in the third round for the Bears. Devin Singletary was highly scouted by the Bears, brought in for a couple workouts at House Hall. So they really liked, I think, Devin Singletary, but felt Montgomery was a better player. And interesting enough, they picked the backup, as you pointed out, in Kareth White. And to me, screams Tariq Cohen insurance policy. Because hmm. Tariq is obviously such an important player when it comes to that running back position because he is so dynamic with his speed and his quickness that it's just a, mat, a mismatched nightmare. And Kareth White, what stands out about him instantly is speed. He ran, I believe, a 4.38. He's very, very fast. He was used as a returner, a receiver, running back at FAU and made a ton of plays. I believe he has eight career touchdowns, uh, something like four from rushing, two from receiving, and two from returns. Really a dynamic player, and he's going to add, first of all, competition with Cordell Patterson at the kick return position. And now you look at their kick return specialists in White, Patterson, and Cohen. Compared to last year, a total 180 and upgrade. They should be very deadly at the return specialist position, which is a huge upgrade for their special teams. But also, I think Kareth White can be used offensively, depending on how quickly he picks up the scheme. can be used as a decoy or as a weapon with that speed. And if worse comes to worse and Tariq Cohen goes down and you are missing that speed element in your running back position, he's a guy that can come in and fill that spot for you, assuming, again, he can pick up the scheme. So uh, when I looked at Duke Shelley and Kareth White, I thought those are guys that they're banking on their upside, but they're also guys that can come in and be the very vital insurances at two key positions, one on offense, one on defense. Okay. Yeah, I really like the point you bring up with the, the special teams uh, overhaul or upgrade, you know, uh, the Cordell was a, a welcome uh, signing in, in the offseason, but uh, like I said, just attending to it potentially with a couple of these picks too makes a lot of sense. And uh, like I said, the Bears kind of needed that. It's a, it'll be a way to help kickstart uh, many offensive drives and uh, you know field position always important so if you got some guys who you could throw back there and get you some you know get you some extra points potentially like a Cordell Patterson could get you some get you some points be it uh, with a return a, a spare return or by putting you in position for field goals uh, right away on drives you know that's that's going to be meaningful in um in, in games throughout the year, especially against the more uh, competitive teams that the Bears play, so uh, definitely, uh, I think overall a nice haul for the Bears, and and the kind of 
you know, a little bit of risk thrown in, but responsible overall. Uh, nothing stupid, nothing that stands out that people really have to question, I would say, for the for the Bears. And uh, definitely, you know, some encouraging things to, to look forward to as they go right into, uh, you know, to minicamp and all that stuff. Yeah, I agree with you, Kyle. I think overall, you look at the class, I mean, your first two picks, you would like them to be in the first and second round, but they weren't this year. And if we count those two picks, which are Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller, then this is an epic uh, draft class. But let's not count them for now. And looking at what they just did on draft day, you solved your running back position with a three-down back that arguably was the best running back of the class, depending on who you ask. Maybe Josh Jacobs a little bit more physically was the guy, but no one can argue with the production that David Montgomery had. Then you bring in a quality receiver with some size and route running ability. And looking at the totality of the offense now, adding Kareth White on top of it, with Cordell Patterson and some of their free agency, they have so much versatility. I mean, they can move guys around everywhere. And we know Matt Nagy already likes to do that. And Matt Nagy can absolutely go crazy playing chess with the pieces he has. Cordell Patterson can be your running back. He can be your tight end. Riley Ridley can be this or that. Kareth White can play on the outside maybe. Tariq Cohen as your receiver with David Mon- I mean, the possibilities are almost endless on what they can do offensively. And they've really added some insurance, I think, to their offense in case that a trade burden goes down and tight end becomes really weak, in case an Allen Robinson goes down, in case a Tariq Cohen goes down. feels like they have a bunch of guys that can fill in in those spots if worst-case scenario. And then you look at what they added on defense. It was purely just those two corners. But the secondary is such an important position. They have so much talent in their front seven. You could argue that they have not enough talent in their back end compared to what they have in their front end. So they've sort of addressed that with their picks that they've gotten, even though they're more project types. But if they work out, I mean, you're talking about a dominant outside corner and a potential really good slot corner. And if you have two of those in the same draft class, you're having one heck of a draft. Definitely, definitely. So uh, Ryan Pace, at least for now, definitely is still living up to his reputation. And there's a chance that he could really enhance it with uh with at least a couple of these picks in this draft if if he does. And one, and one thing, Kyle, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just thinking of past general managers. How often have we heard from Angelo, from Phil Emery, guys in the past, we're going to take the best player available. And a lot of times that was lip service because there was plenty of players that we could have identified very easily saying, how was this guy not a better player available than Shea McClellan, a.k.a. Chandler Jones? You you have to try to take best player available when it comes to the draft. Obviously, you're going to keep your needs in mind. You're going to try to fill your needs as best you can. But if you're a team that's purely drafting for needs and not considering – what the potential is of a player that's available who you ranked higher than anybody you have, you're doing a huge disservice to your team. And I felt like Ryan Pace gave us his trueness when it came to this draft. He obviously is very aggressive, found his guy, targeted his guy, went after his guy. But the guy that they targeted, just like how he's done in the past, nobody has any real complaints about it. It makes sense if it works. Obviously, we'll give you some criticism if it doesn't but we're not reaching for a player that we don't have on our draft boards or something crazy. Right. And then from there on, I think he really took best player available, didn't try to force the draft into anything. 
And when you do that, look at the Seahawks, look at the Patriots, look at some of these stalwarts in the NFL over the last few years. That's what they're doing. They're taking best player and not trying to force players to become great. Definitely. And and attacking players who they know will fit uh, into their system, into their, uh, you know, their environment with their coaches and everything. And, and they're smart. They're smart about those things. And I, I think when you look back at the, at the recent GMs, like you said, either they were paying lip service to us or even worse, they actually thought those, those players they were picking, picking were the best players available. And that would be a sign into how lacking they were in, in evaluating talent overall or at least evaluating talent for the NFL today. And I don't – when I think of Ryan Pace, I see – I think of a guy is on the ball – and he knows just what it takes to win in the NFL today. So there's no reason to not have confidence in this guy right now. I agree. And he's really, I think, learned and grown on the job, which was always expected when he was hired. Everyone said right away he's very young. He's going to have to learn and grow on the job. So far, that's that's what it looks like from Ryan Pace. Seems like he gets it, and he's trying to address all the issues of the team versus in years past where he's maybe left the position unidentified or unsolved, it, that doesn't feel like the case anymore. And he really feels like a GM that understands how to win. Definitely, definitely. So um, we got a, a few more minutes here. Uh, let's, uh, you, you got any, uh, anything that stood out to you, uh, you know, league-wide or outside of the Bears or maybe with the NFC North teams or anything that with this draft? NFC North, um, there was a couple interesting selections. Uh, I thought the Lions getting their tight end from Iowa, Hawkinson. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good pick for them. That's going to really help them in their offense. And they solidify that defense like they've tried to in free agency. Matt Stafford is obviously a capable quarterback. That could be a really nice pickup where it really catalyzes that offense. In a way that Eric Ebron didn't when they drafted him, so that's one to keep an eye on. Just uh, uh, right quick though, that's I kind of got in a cheap joke on them uh, that night because I was like on Twitter, I was like, you know, the Lions they just love to pick high in drafts. Because remember when they had that that run where they picked like receivers for three straight years? Yeah, I was like, they just love to pick at positions where they failed at in the draft before. So I was was thinking, I just saw them mention Ebron on the screen and I was like, oh man, but, <laughs> but it, that, that's just, that's just me busting, you know, Detroit, uh, Lions, which is, I love to do as much as anything in football, but, 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 but you, like you, when you say that this Iowa kid, I, Iowa had about two or three tight ends drafted this year. Hadn't they? Yeah. Noah Fant was the other one who was a first rounder, really good player. I mean, they, they were loaded at that tight end position. Yeah. I, you know, I guess, that's definitely if they get a, a, a you know at least a serviceable guy at that position for Stafford that 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 could mean a lot for him you know who who is so maligned but you know we know he can put up numbers if he has the right guys around him and uh, looking at maybe some of the other teams within the division like the Packers they I thought had an okay draft I I kept an eye on them because I wanted to see what they did but. I guess nothing blew me away with what they did, so you feel maybe a little bit better as a Bears fan. We'll obviously have to see. 
But the other thing that. that really caught my eye was the NFC East, especially with the Dwayne Haskins, New York Giants fiasco. Because oh, yeah. first of all, the Giants go with Daniel Jones, as we all know, instead of Dwayne Haskins, and he goes to Washington. And Washington, to me, had maybe a underrated or really great draft. I thought they did a lot of good things. It's got Montez Sweet as well, another pass rusher to pair with Ryan Kerrigan. Yeah. They drafted that Terry McLaurin kid who's going to be a threat for them. Uh, as a, an outside receiver. And if Dwayne Haskins works out, they fill that void that Alex Smith left with his injury because he's probably not coming back for a long time. Uh, Washington is a team that maybe is making a move out in the NFC East. They, I thought, had a really great draft, had a lot of good, talented prospects. We'll see how their development goes. But that's a division where, I, you know, just looking at it as a Bears fan where we've kind of missed on a lot of quarterbacks, and especially in Green Bay, we've missed on those quarterbacks and seeing them beat us year in and year out. I just got that sneaky feeling for the Giants that they're just going to be dealing with Dwayne Haskins for a long time and looking back saying, why didn't we draft him? Yeah, and, you know, it, it's it's been kind of easy to keep up with uh, what's going on in New York recently. Uh, a, a lot of the the national media has been picking up on Dave Gettleman. And, you know, he, he's, he's sort of a higher-profile GM anyway, but he's also been very mouthy recently and, you know, he's been trying to defend this pick uh, in the wake of the, the uh, you know, the criticism of the Jones pick. And it's like, come on, man. I don't, I don't know, man. It, you're not – sometimes you you want to be the smartest guy in the room, but you just fail. And, uh, you know, in doing so, you, you make a, make stupid mistakes. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm, – I'm definitely rooting for, for Haskins. Uh, you know, in, in Washington, you know, even though the slurs are the slurs, but, you know, he, this is a big 10 kid, you know, to be frank, you no, know, a black quarterback, you know, this is a guy who I think has, has gone through some, uh, some difficulties in establishing himself, but he's, uh, you know, he's, he's made it and he's playing for his hometown team, which, you know, comes with some, you know, we know here in Chicago that can come with some, uh, you know, there, there's some faults to that. There's some there's some uh, things that can that can uh, derail that can derail you as a as a hometown hero. Uh, but if you if you if he was the guy to resurrect, as it were, or really bring that uh, that Washington franchise back to consistent promise, uh, prominence, I should say. Uh, you know, he that's going to mean a lot definitely for his career and. Uh, you know, he gets right off. He gets the chance to uh, stick it. You know, he, he he's, 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 he's sort of in that Randy Moss mode right now. He's like, you know, all those teams that failed to pick me are going to have problems. And one of those uh-huh. teams, teams are going to be the Giants. And you know, he gets to see the Giants two times a year. So, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty fun to see those games. And to piggyback off your Dave Gettleman comment, because I completely agree, I, I really don't know. I mean, if, if Daniel Jones works out, obviously all this conversation is moot. Sure. But if he doesn't, which by all accounts, this is a guy that should have been selected at least in the second round or third round, no earlier than that. Definitely not a first-round talent by many evaluators. And you look at the quarterbacks that he has passed on. He passed on Sam Darnold, passed on Josh Allen, passed on Josh Rosen, passed on Dwayne Haskins. 
if these guys turn out to be good quarterbacks and Darnold has, from by all accounts, looked okay, Josh Allen has probably looked better than what people thought, even though he's been more of a runner. You know, we don't know about Josh Rosen quite yet because he hasn't really gotten a fair shake, but he was considered the best passer in that draft with how prolific those quarterbacks are. And now looking at this year's draft with Dwayne Haskins, uh, that was the guy that by all accounts seemed to be the most uh, just you can bank on this guy being the best quarterback in the draft, and they didn't go after him either. So if any of those four guys really work out, and by all accounts they seem to have a better ceiling than Daniel Jones, that could be a really black mark on Gettleman as well as the Giants. Okay. Uh, right quick, who, who do you think was the best uh, pick overall value in the first round, and, and what was the worst one? Do, do you think that Jones was the worst one? Yeah, I think I would have to go Daniel Jones as the worst, especially if he was in the, uh, being the sixth pick in the draft. Had he been 17 for the Giants, would have felt maybe a little bit better about it because his quarterback going that high up, okay, sure. and you would assume a couple quarterbacks would have came off the board at that point. And really looking at Jones, to me, that's that's got to be the worst value pick. And, you know, sticking kind of in the top ten, there's a couple guys that really stood out in terms of value just because they could have huge impacts. Quinnen Williams to the Jets, I know he went number three, but this was by all accounts the top-rated prospect of the entire draft, considered the best player. And every, to, go, to get that player at number three, it reminds me when they got uh, – um, their guy, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Williams from USC a couple of years ago where he fell to the Jets at like five or six and he was considered the best player in the draft. That's okay. how you build championship teams. And another guy was Josh Allen going to the Jaguars. Uh, going at seven, nobody expected Josh Allen to go past the top five and to fall all the way to seven. And you thought really with the Giants on the clock at six and Josh Allen there, that, that was a no-brainer. But the Jags picking him up, I think that that's the type of player that could revitalize that defense and really fill in for uh, a Fowler Jr. who really wasn't that good for the Jags. I expect Josh Allen to be a better player than that with what they have on defense and then, of course, getting Nick Foles to solidify that offense. I think the Jags really helped themselves out a lot with that player. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if if he could help uh, get that defense because they still got a lot of pieces down there. And that defense, you know, just over a year ago was seen as like the most dangerous defense in the league. But a lot, of, a lot has changed in that time since. So uh, for them to be able to pick up a top ten pick and a guy who uh, is highly regarded in Allen, as we say, you know, that that could be uh, very meaningful for those Jazz. Yeah, it, it really, when you're looking at value in the draft. There's a lot of guys that can kind of be here or there, and maybe you kind of just have a first-round grade, so you don't really feel one way or the other because they went in the first round. But some of the top ten guys, especially when you're talking about the number one overall player, you get him at three. To me, that that's where value really comes in, where you can just sit there and let two teams – and not that Nick Bosa going to San Fran is a bad pick, but that's a guy with concerns. I mean, he quit on his team and had a really severe injury and has had an injury history. That pick doesn't come with very little uh, – that pick comes with risk. Versus Quentin Williams, there is no risk there. You are getting the best player in the draft. And for a couple teams to pass on him, that's great value. And then, again, with the Jags, I mean, you're talking about you're getting a guy at seven that easily could have went top three. 
easily. Uh, it just took one person to like him, and he fit in the top three, too. So really great value there. Yeah. A little bit of history, too, with Williams. He's the first top five pick to be represented by a black woman. And and uh, I believe she's part of a firm that's run by Little Wayne. So uh, take with that what, what you will. But, uh, you know, hey, Master P is represented. A lot of different people have represented players. You know, Jay-Z represents a lot of uh, athletes nowadays. Uh-huh. I, I'd rather trust Jay-Z than Lil Wayne. But, but uh, you know, hey, we, you never know. But uh, Little Wayne knows the sports, though. He does know sports really well. He does. He's always killed it when he goes on first take. He, yeah, he, he does. He's a little bit of a – he's not as bad as Drake, but he's he's a little bit of a, <laughs> a front runner. But, uh, you know, yeah. And he like he likes the Packers. I don't know if he still likes the Packers so much, but I know for a while he did. But anyway, ugh. but uh, <laughs> yeah. Ugh. But anyway, uh, oh, right quick before we go, uh, what uh, what do you think about the whole Arizona stuff? You mentioned Rosen a little bit uh, a second ago, but uh, you know they go ahead with Murray. They ended up uh, dishing off Rosen to Miami. Uh, what do you think about that whole thing? again is very similar to Daniel Jones if it works it works and we won't say anything but the process that they've done uh, to me that's how you lose football and how you really put your franchise back a couple years because what a lot of people forget is they traded up to get Josh Rosen they went from 15 to 10 I believe to Mm -hmm. get him so they gave up assets to go get him what do they do in the offseason they fire the coach after one year they bring in a quarterback's guru, but apparently he can't work with any quarterback. He needs a specific type of quarterback. And this coach that they brought in, didn't he got fired in college, never had any success there, and got promoted up into the NFL because he's somewhat similar to Sean McVay, and that's the only reason why he has a job. And now you get Kyler Murray, who comes with his red flags, but I like him overall as a prospect. I don't necessarily think he's going to fail, but – how that situation plays out where the coach is kind of running things by kind of demanding and ownership by getting this quarterback in here. Kyler Murray's got to work out because if he's any type of bust and Josh Rosen goes on to do anything positive, I mean, that's, again, you're you're trading a top 10 quarterback, 10 cents on the dollar because you have to get rid of him because he doesn't fit your scheme to get another quarterback at number one when you have holes everywhere on your roster it's a it's a huge gamble, Kyle, and I I wouldn't expect it to pay off personally. It's it's all going to depend on how great Kyler Murray is, because to me, it has nothing to do with the coach. Kingsbury might not even be the coach when Murray really takes off by how, uh, by how bad he is at running a locker room. It seems like and winning games. But again, if, if Murray is great, this move might turn out to be a, a positive one for the Cardinals. It's just, it comes with a ton of risk. Yeah, and it's it's very meaningful what you said there about Murray maybe taking off, but not under Kingsbury. And we've seen this; there's been precedent for this in the NFL. Uh, you know, where a player just needs to he needs more of the situation to work around him for for them to get off. And you know, they may not get off right away when they come into the league. You know, people take for granted some of these quarterbacks and the way that they uh, that they go about things when they first start, that's not going to be the case for everyone. Murray may be a top, he may be worthy of a, of a number one overall pick or at least uh, the first quarterback taken in, the, in this class, but 
I'm I'm with you, man. I don't know if it's gonna happen with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury as his coach, and I don't, I'm not even sure it's gonna happen with him as an Arizona Cardinal. He may have to go to some other team entirely to get the success that he wants in the NFL. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. That's definitely gonna be something that we all keep an eye on as NFL observers this year and going forward. But uh, I wish Murray the best of luck. You see, he he took a risk on himself, especially financially, and uh, he, he he's going after his dream of being an NFL quarterback, and he's accomplished it to a degree. But now it's going to come a lot of work ahead of him. And uh, yeah, you know, we got if he's going to succeed in Arizona, you know, he's it's going to take a lot of work. Like I said, between him and his coach and in that front office, and uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, I'm really rooting for Kyler Murray. I think he's a, a great athlete and maybe has gotten too much flack for pursuing his dreams. I mean, he's just doing what he thinks is best. And really, that's all that anyone could ever ask. I just hope, hope, hope that uh, he can take only the positives from Kingsbury because there's a reason why he couldn't make it at Texas Tech, which was a bottom tier Big 12 program and didn't get hired by anybody else besides USC to be an offensive coordinator. So, I, I don't expect Kingsbury to have a successful run there, and hopefully he doesn't put Kyler Murray in the ground with them. Yeah, definitely. All right, but we'll we'll leave it at that for now, man. Uh, thanks again, Ryan. You did a great job over the past two two months or so with this draft coverage, and uh, really appreciate all the work that you've done. And um, you know, it's been it's been fun talking to you about about this stuff in particular, but, uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to open it up to a lot more with the NFL. And um, we'll probably take a, a, a little time off here uh, because this is more or less a dead period now. Not too much big is going to be happening uh, NFL-wise for the next month or two. But we'll, we'll try to get back with y'all pretty soon. And, um, we, you know, we'll start off, like I said, we'll start off our, our NFL uh, podcast and NFL coverage um, with a you know hopefully a snazzy new name for the podcast going forward. Uh, we'll let you know more about that soon. And um, yeah, definitely in the meantime, you can read Ryan's stuff on WeAreRegalRadio.com. All his past stuff is available there, and uh, you know future stuff as well on the NFL and the Bears. Like I said, uh, like I said earlier, his draft breakdown. Uh, his written draft breakdown of these Bears picks are going to be available uh, when you hear this on uh, War on Anchor. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. Uh, you could, uh, in the meantime, you catch us at the show. We may we may be both going to see Endgame again or <laughs> some other comic book movie in the near future. And uh, as, as well as that, you can definitely listen to Ryan on uh, Dean Davis' show. Uh, they'll be recording again this week, and you can hear new shows every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Thursday. Uh, you can hear them on War on Anchor. And as uh, well, Dean Davis to Flip, those are every Monday on uh, SoundCloud. So, uh, yeah, and uh, as always, though, you, know, you got all type of stuff you can listen to with us here on uh, War on Anchor. Uh, we got. We just dropped the Game of Thrones recap. We had to recap the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, me and Chris Pennant. Uh, 
in the scope podcast, me uh me and uh Josh Hicks, you know, all type of stuff, man. This definitely give you more of what y'all need out there, whether you know it or not. But uh we we gonna keep No going. doubt. Yeah. And uh, football fans enjoy this break, like Kyle said, because once July hits, it's pure football fever all the way through the month of January. Yes, sir. Two a days and all that, man. We 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 working with all pads, man. Not we we're, we're old school, man. Yeah, we don't got a CBA that limits our practice time. We're gonna be out there <laughs> right. hitting and hitting hard. Exactly. Yeah. So you gonna work with us? You go. You know. You gonna you gonna get go get rough with y'all. So. Yeah, no, we, no, uh, no punks, no punks allowed on our camp. But uh, right, yeah, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, we are RegalRadio.com World Anchor. Thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll keep up with, uh, keep up with us and uh, show us love, and we'll show it right back, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Bear down. Thank you.